All right, so we're at Genesis chapter 17, and Genesis chapter 17, this is a very uh, important passage that another passage from Genesis that we base a lot of our doctrine from, a lot of our New Testament doctrine that we teach today, it is based off of what we read here in Genesis 17, and also there's some things that we learn here in Genesis 17 that the New Testament refers to that teaches us, I think, how we can, how to interpret prophecy and how we can understand certain things in prophecy. And so this is another, uh, I think, another great example of some meat that we get into in Genesis chapter 17 because, again, you and I, we would, we would read this story and we would just see the story. You know, we would see the story about how God uh, promised Abraham he was going to give him a son from Sarah and how God instituted the circumcision. You know, most of us, if it was just us, we would see the same thing that the Jews saw when they read this passage, and they were just all about circumcision. I mean, the circumcision was just the most important thing, and to the point that even in the book of Acts, you had certain believing Jews that came along and said, "If you, except you be circumcised after the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. They went, and they read this, like a lot of people, you know, they read scriptures just looking for that checklist of rules. They went to Genesis 17. Hey, Genesis 17 is real clear. And it is real clear. You're supposed to be circumcised. But yet, Genesis 17, Paul goes to there, digs a little deeper, and shows, hey, this is how we prove salvation is not of works. And it, that circumcision does not save. He used Genesis 17 to prove that. So let's go through this chapter and see uh, some of the important things that we can get from it. So it says in verse 1, And when Abram was 90 and 9 years old, or 90 years old, 9, The Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me, and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked to them, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. So first off, that name Abram, it means high father, where Abraham means a father of uh, a multitude or a father of many nations. It's basically his name got a promotion. Instead of just being high father, yeah, you're going to be a father of many. You're going to be a father of a multitude. So he, it's like, kind of like his name got a promotion is basically the way I look at it. And notice how in verse 4, now get this right here. In verse 4, he says, thou shalt be a father of many nations. Okay, now if you studied English, okay, that's future tense, right? Thou shalt be a father of many nations. That's future tense, right? Tense, right? Okay. Now, on this day, when God said this, was Abraham a father of many nations? No, the, he, he's only one nation right now, isn't he? So... But did Abraham become the father of many nations? Yes, he did. But then notice in verse 5, he said, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Now made, what tense is that? Is that present, past, or or future? That's past, isn't it? He He said it in the past tense as though it was already done. Now, what can we get from that? Well, turn over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 teaches us something that is very important. And if you don't understand this concept, then there's going to be some passages, and we don't have time to go to them, 
But there are passages in the New Testament that people who teach that you can lose your salvation will often go to. For example, you know, the Bible often talks about, you know, the salvation that's to come, referring to the physical salvation or the salvation of our body, the transformation of our body. And they will use that and apply it to salvation and use that to prove we're not really saved for sure right now. You know, they'll, and they'll, there's a lot of verses like that that they'll misuse, but they don't understand that when a person believes on Christ, they are saved immediately. Okay? And nothing can change that. They are saved immediately. Now that salvation that you got when you believed on Christ, where is the evidence of that salvation? Now if you're a Calvinist, it's like, well, look how I dress now. You know, uh, I go to church. I got baptized. Okay? That's what you would say if you're a Calvinist. You would, you would talk about your works. To prove you're, that you are justified, right? That's what the Calvinists do, the camp meeting people, pretty much any, any you know, backdoor work salvation crowd would do. But what would you and I say? Well, we would claim the blood of Christ, wouldn't we? That's our justification that we are saved right now. Now, why do we need that? Well, we need that because of the fact that this doesn't, this doesn't look saved. Okay, now, I don't care how sanctified some Calvinist thinks he sanctified himself. In the eyes of God, his righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Okay? And these people, well, who was I talking about boasting about filthy rags? All right. Is that you, Aaron? Yeah, we we're talking about that. You gave me a great idea for a sermon. Can't wait to see people glorying in their filthy rags. That's what they're doing. Okay? Every Calvinist that wants to point to his works to prove he's saved, or some fat camp meeting preacher, they're glorying in their filthy rags. Our justification is in the blood of Christ. That's all we have right now to prove that we are saved, the word of God, the works of Jesus Christ, because we have not received the full package yet because we don't have the new body yet, do we? We still have that sinful nature. But God has promised that we will have that one of these days. God has promised that he will return, he will transform us, he will make us like him. And He say, when God says he's going to do something, it's as good as already done. It's as good as past history. You can't change it. Okay? Just like on time travel movies, they can never successfully change the past because you just can't do it according to all the rules of Hollywood, right? And it's the same thing too, but even more so when it comes to the promises of God. If God says something's going to happen, you can't stop it from happening. There's nothing you can do to stop it from happening. The Mandela effect can't change it. Nothing can change it. And so we learn that. Paul teaches that in Romans 4.13. Uh, we'll start reading there. And it says, For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. We have in previous weeks. But remember, if they're just children of the flesh, that's by the law. Faith is made void. Okay? Isaac was not of the flesh, he was a promise. And it says, because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Okay, why does the law work wrath? Because everybody transgresses, for all have sinned, including Jews. So that's why they're under the wrath of God, unless they get saved. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickened the dead 
and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Key verse right there. God calls those things that be not as though they were. So if somebody ever wants to come along and tell you, well, it's to those who are being saved, you know, no, we are saved right now. We believe God like Abraham. It was accounted for righteousness. We are saved right now. Well, I, don't, I, I think you need to sanctify yourself first. I think we need to see some change. I think we need to see some improvement in your life. No, God said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Therefore, I am saved. You can't take it away from me. doesn't matter what I do. doesn't matter what happened. If God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Just like if God says, Abraham, you're going to have a son, even though you're 99 and your wife is not 89 and, you know, and her womb is dead. If God says she's going to have a child a year from now, she's going to have a child a year from now. And that's exactly what happened. And so no matter how sorry and how right you are, no matter how bad your flesh is, no matter how much you know victory it gets over you in your life, if you've been saved, God's already given you, told you you're going to heaven, and nothing can change that. And it doesn't matter the physical condition that you're in. God's word, it defeats that. It's above that and beyond that. So you are saved right now. Romans 4, uh, in verse 17, it, that's, that proves that. So you use that verse because there are some select verses where it's getting a little more technical, and that verse by itself can sometimes, when it, like for example, when it says, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Okay, well, that's because it's referring to the physical salvation. Okay? Yes, we haven't got the physical salvation yet. How do I know? We're still under persecution right now as we speak. We haven't got the physical salvation yet, but we have the promise of it. So we're going to glory as though we already have it. And that's why even if they kill us, we still win. We still claim victory even if they kill us because the physical salvation is coming. We will rise from the dead. They can kill us, but they can't keep us dead. So we have victory right now. And so in verse 18 says, Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall I seed be. And being not weak in the faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, I want to stop here because here in Romans, when it's telling the story about this chapter that we're going through right now, Abraham laughed at first, didn't he? Sarah laughs later. Okay? So, but isn't it interesting how when you read this here, it's like, man, Abraham heard the promise and he's just like, yeah, I believe it. You know, because at the end of the day, it's not about what goes through your head. It's about what you do. And we can't always control what goes through our head. But, you know, we can control what we do. And there's going to be times where you find yourself in your mind and in your heart doubting. But, you know, God's not going to hold it against you as long as you do the right thing. We can't always help how we feel about things. That's why we don't want to just go off what we feel. We want to go off, you know, what the Bible says to do and then just do it, even if it doesn't feel good. Just do it. And that's what God did with Abraham. So, I mean, when you were reading this here in Romans, it's like Abraham didn't miss a beat. But we're going to see Abraham actually laughed at first. It's okay. He got it right. He did the right thing. So he ended up in the right place. That's what's important. So you know what? In your Christian life, you're going to have times along the way where you get off track a little bit, where you stumble, where you fall. But, you know, as long as you get back up, you can get forgiveness, and that kind of thing can be forgotten. Thank the Lord for that. So it says, 
and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform and therefore was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was written, not written for his, for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. This passage that we're reading, it was written to help us to be saved. Okay, so we need to understand, again, when the dispensationalists want to act like different salvation in the New Testament, and they'll tell you, you know, you got to follow the road. We follow the Romans road today, but they had faith plus works in the Old Testament. You're a moron. The Romans road is based off the Old Testament, mostly Genesis. So that's just pure ignorance when they say that. It's just an absolute lie. So this statement where he said, God called those things to be not as though they were, this helps us understand why there are things that the Bible says is present that sometimes are technically in the future, like us being saved. You know, this helps us also know how to interpret certain prophecies, okay? So, for example, uh, some prophecies are spoken in the present or even past tense, okay? Like, I was confused on it for a while, and it, kind of, it just kind of hit me one time when I was studying through my Revelation message. When you get to the uh, prophecy where it says, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. You know, when you're reading that, you think, well, that means Babylon's fallen. But then the thing is, according to the way you're reading everything, it's like, wait, no, Babylon doesn't fall until later. Why is this angel saying Babylon is fallen, is fallen? Isn't that past tense? Yeah, that's past tense. But when the, when the Bible prophesies something in past tense, that usually means nothing can change this prophecy. Because there's other prophecies that are spoken in present tense or sometimes even future tense that may not necessarily happen. For example, yea, in 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Did that prophecy come to pass? No, that one was spoken of in a future tense, and God's mercy allowed them to escape that. So there's a lot so another prophecy that's in future tense that may or may not necessarily happen is how about, and so all Israel shall be saved. So, uh, you know, so you're going to say that's not going to happen? Here's the thing. Most of your future prophecies, like future tense prophecies, have a disclaimer in there. And so does and so all Israel shall be saved. The disclaimer is before it says if they abide not still in unbelief. Okay, so understand that there's many prophecies in the Bible that there's disclaimers on them, and those ones are usually prophesied in the future tense. But when you see a prophecy in the Bible and it's spoken as though it's already happened, nothing's changing that one. Okay? So that's why I like to say that I'm saved. All right, past tense. Okay? I've been saved, past tense. Nothing's going to change that. Can't get out of that. Okay? If, I, if, I was gonna, if, I was, if I could only say I will be saved, I'd be a little nervous. Because there's a lot of things that the Bible says, you know, will, will be or could be that don't happen because there's disclaimers. But, you know, there's no disclaimers. Once you get saved, that's past. And God told Abraham, I have made thee a father of many nations. Because nothing was changing that. This was set. This was settled in God's mind. Abraham was going to be the father of many nations. So he used it in that term. And you say, oh, I, I don't agree with your interpretation. I'm sorry. You know, I'm just going off the teachings of the Apostle Paul. I figure if I interpret the Bible the way he did, I'll probably be pretty safe. 
Scenes that uh, that he was full of the Holy Spirit and wrote quite a bit of our scriptures. So, uh, important thing to understand. And pay attention to that when you're reading prophecies. You know, when you see something that's spoken by the prophet in the past tense, mark it down. It doesn't mean it already happened. It just means this is going to happen. Nothing's going to change it. And many of your, not all, but many of your future tense prophecies have disclaimers. And there's lots of prophecies with disclaimers. So look at verse 6 of Genesis 17. It says, And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. Now, folks, pay attention to this, okay? This is where we're going to get a little bit deep. And I want you to follow along, because if you're a Zionist or a pre-tribber or a dispensationalist, you're going to get lost. Okay, because you got too much Schofield and too much Larkin in your head. Okay, but in case you all still have a little bit of that rattling around in your head, I need you to pay close attention here. Remember, the seed, and we're not even going to go to Genesis or Galatians three because you all know Galatians three backwards. The seed is Christ. Do I need to prove that tonight? Okay, I don't need to prove that here. The seed is Christ. So let's read this again. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Okay? Remember, God promises to Abraham and his seed. Okay? Not seeds as of many, but as of one, Jesus Christ. This is a promise to Jesus Christ. But you say, but you know, when I read this, it it sure does look like we're talking about some more people than just Jesus Christ. It sure does look like in here that this is referring to Abraham's descendants, the children of Israel. And I do want to say that both positions there are true. But something changed. Something happened. Something was fulfilled that the dispensationalists just can't seem to figure out. So pay very close attention. So it says, And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant before thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations. Okay? So God tells Abraham, You're going to keep this covenant that I'm going to give you, and your seed after you in their generations. So there was a commandment by God for Abraham and for his seed to keep this covenant, to keep a covenant, all right? This, now, so here, here's what the dispensations are missing. It, they're missing the fact that the covenant was fulfilled with Jesus Christ because of the fact that Jesus was the only descendant of Abraham, and Jesus was a descendant of Abraham who kept the covenant. Y'all understand that? No other Israelite, no other Jew ever kept the covenant except Jesus. He did keep the covenant. Now, look what it says in Acts 13 and verse 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed, Talking about David's seed. Of this man's seed 
hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to lose. Even John the Baptist wasn't a worthy seed. Didn't keep the covenant. He didn't keep every law. It says, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead, and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he raised up Jesus again. As It is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And it's concerning that he raised him from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things. Catch this. Dispensationalist. He, he delivers from all things, or, or, uh, or justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which was spoken of in the prophets, Behold, ye despisers, and wonder and perish. For I, will, I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached unto them the next Sabbath. The Jews didn't want to hear this. What? You mean we can't be justified by the law of Moses? What have we been working for all this time? You're saying it's, we just have to believe in Jesus? This isn't what they wanted to hear. But you know what? Those Gentiles who knew they didn't have a chance with the law of God, you know what they said? We want to hear more about this. We want to hear more about this. You know, it's kind of like when you go talk to religious people and you tell them, hey, you know, you can know for sure you're saved. You don't have to wonder. You know, you can know for sure. And then when you try to tell them how it's a free gift, they don't want to hear it. But, you know, there's a lot of dirtbags out there, you know, scummy people that have no religious background. When they hear you talk about a free gift that's not of works, all of a sudden, like, you know, I'd like to hear more about this. You know, the people that have got the, you know, they've got all the baggage. You know, they don't know that much about the Bible. They're not all full of themselves. They always, want to, they always want to hear more about it. And, you know, we've got a new kind of Jew today. You know, they're just the religious people. They're the religiously lost people today. They're just like the Jews of that day. So it says, now when the congregation, or that was the last verse I wanted to read on that. So basically what we see happening right there is teaching against dispensational salvation pretty much. He's showing them. You can never be justified through the law of Moses. Okay? It's all about Jesus Christ. So Galatians 3.19 says, 
Wherefore then serve the law? So then why was there a law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. Do you want to know why God protected Israel all that time when they were so stinking wicked? Do you want to know why the children of Israel were God's chosen people? Do you want to know why that wicked, murmuring group of people, why God showed them so much favor, why he fed them manna? You know why? Because it was through them that the seed was going to come. It was through them. God had promised that, this, that a seed was going to come through the children of Israel, that's why God never wiped them out. That's why they were never, that's why they never completely defeated all the attempts to destroy the Jews. The, the dispensationalists and the Zionist acolytes just because the devil's always hated the Jews. He's always hated God's people. No, he hated Jesus. And he wanted to stop Jesus. And so when Jesus finally came, what did the devil do? He ends up having Jesus killed. But you know what? He couldn't keep him dead. Jesus Christ defeated the devil on the cross. He defeated the devil at his resurrection at the tomb. And so all those things, those promises that God gave, they were to the seed. And when the seed came, okay, all of a sudden now, those people don't matter anymore. Y'all understand that? The seed came. The purpose was fulfilled. Also, oh, God's just going to abandon all those Jews from the past? Well, if we're going to be based base it on their works yeah if we're going to base it on their lineage yes now if you're talking about those who are of faith no those who are of faith like abraham like david like rahab who wasn't even a jew those people they're all preserved in christ they are all in christ jesus christ is their high priest we talked about that uh when we covered melchizedek he was that high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and his one-time sacrifice, it took care of all of those from the past who believed, and it takes care of all those who will believe in the future, the one-time sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So the seed came. And so wherefore then served the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come. God had to give them a law because if Israel doesn't have any law, they're going to destroy themselves as a people. They're going to end up being like Sodom and Gomorrah and completely wiped out. And now the promise of God can't be fulfilled. So God had to give them a law to preserve them as a people. That's why we need laws in our country today. If we want to preserve our nation, we need laws. And we need good laws. We need some good laws that will help keep us in line to preserve us as a people. That's another subject for another day. But I felt led to say something about it right now. As we're seeing good laws get flushed down the toilets. So Hebrews 2.16 says, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. The seed of Abraham. Who were those promises to? We just read it in Genesis 17. It was to Abraham and his seed. Jesus was that seed. Not descendants of Abraham today. Not curly lock wearing guys banging their head against a stone wall in Israel. They are not his seed. The promises were not to them. Get over it, Zionists. I don't know why they keep trying. It's stubbornness. It's amazing just how ridiculous teaching can get when you go and you back yourself into a corner and then pride sets in. Folks, you know, look, those of you who are wanting to be pastors, man, do not, do not ever let pride get a hold of you and stop you from moving forward for God. 
some of the dumbest things you will ever hear preachers preach. It will be because they got lifted up with pride. They couldn't admit they were wrong. They will do anything that they can possibly do to just make themselves seem right. And they just dig themselves in deeper and deeper and they humiliate themselves. You might as well just be humble and just say, you know what, I messed up. Just, just, get, just get that in your head right now. Listen, people are forgiving when you're humble. But boy, when you're stubborn and when you can never admit you're wrong on anything... People are going to pick you apart and they are going to tear you to pieces and God's going to help them do it. And he's going to put a spirit of foolishness and insanity and you're going to preach stupid stuff. And I'm seeing this kind of thing happen all the time. Just dumb stuff people are preaching. It's like, what would make make you preach something that dumb? I'll tell you what, Will. Pride. Pride will blind you to so many things. And some of the stupid stuff we're hearing preached today is because they're stuck on Zionism. They're stuck on the Jews. And they can't read plain scripture. And so they'll go as far. They will go as far to protect themselves to say that, you know, we're all going to inhabit other planets one of these days. Teaching weird stuff like that. Because, you know, when you tell one lie, you got to tell another lie to cover for that lie. And you got to tell another lie to cover for that lie. And what do you have eventually after about 479 lies? Dispensationalism. A book called Dispensational Truth by Clarence Larkin. And he'll give you a path of lies that you can go down that'll just annoy the fire out of most Bible believers when they're talking. He said, forget you. I'm I'm moving on. I'll just reprobate you pretty much. But anyway, so Genesis 17.10 says, This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Now here it looks like when he's talking about seed, he's talking about a lot of people. He is. Because remember, it's his descendants that the seed was going to come from. But did any of Abraham's seed keep the law? Did they keep the covenant? No. We can go over and over again in the scripture. So they broke his covenant. They broke his covenant. Therefore, they are not the seed. So Jesus Christ was the only one that kept all of it. And that's why we, as Christians, we see in Galatians, it's taught that we have the circumcision of the heart. Even though you might not have the physical circumcision, we have it in the heart because we are of Christ. His works are credited to our account. So we are, we do, we've, we've fulfilled all those things in Jesus Christ. So this, this physical circumcision that they performed is no longer required because it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Look what it says in Romans chapter 2. Now, a lot of Jews got stuck on this back in the day. A lot of Jews, they struggled with it because they were, they were very list-oriented, like People are today. You know how much that stuff drives me drives me crazy. These listen, the type of thing you're seeing today where everybody just wants the you know the neat little list that they can use to condemn everyone else. Okay? Everybody's got their little checklist out just ready to pounce on somebody who doesn't meet all those qualifications on that list when it's somebody that's completely not in their jurisdiction, somebody they shouldn't worry about. Okay? They're they're like the Pharisees on that. And the circumcision was a very you know, clear thing, item on the list, and it was a very, you know, easy thing to prove, you know, and we don't want to get descriptive there, but, you know, it was something that was a, it was a physical covenant in the flesh, one that was easy to prove, you know, it wasn't like, you know, some of the new IFB-isms that all you have to do is give lip service to, you know, and then you're all good, you know, and, and everybody knows what to give lip service to. You know, you listen to this preaching long enough, 
It's real easy for some loser infiltrator to come in here and know exactly what to say. Right? And, you know, and all we can go off is their profession. And that's, that's fine. That's all we have to go off of. But people can say whatever they want. They can give a clear testimony of salvation. It doesn't mean they're saved. Nothing, if, they didn't, if they didn't get it in the heart, they can just be lying to us. We don't know. There's nothing physical that we can look at to spot the infiltrators. But, you know, they had something back then that they could look at. We don't have anything like that. So, you know, we just have to rely on the Holy Spirit, and it can make it difficult sometimes. But, you know, people want that item on the checklist so they can prove that somebody's lost, so they can prove that somebody's a reprobate. You know, they always want to be able to just put that positive mark on somebody. And, you know, we've, we've created a list of rules. It just reminds me a lot of the Pharisees, and everybody just constantly... One of these days, I'm going to get fed up. I'm going to start doing it. And once a week, I'm going to post reprobate of the week. New IFB, reprobate of the week. Every week, somebody new is getting reprobated. And just make, you know, just get like a funny picture of it. You know, reprobate of the week, you know, uh, week 17 of 2020, whoever it is. I don't know who it's going to be. All right, but j- just mark it down. Somebody's getting reprobated. Okay? And, cause, and it's always going to be because of something on the list. All right? You know, preach the false gospel. Uh, he said, "Repent of sins." Uh, you know, he, you know, he took away from God's word. You know, either, you know, you know, all the things that are the real easy ones that we go to. And it's like, you know, why, why do we? Why does that even? You know, do we really need to just figure out who all the reprobates are in the world? Uh, it just reminds me too much of the Pharisees sometimes. There's a time for it. There's a time when people need reprobating. Okay? But. Most of the time, no. Like, for example, all these dead preachers that are always getting reprobated. Why? Why do we need to reprobate a dead guy? You know? It's it's really weird. Uh, but uh, I don't know why I got sidetracked on that. I forgot where I was now. Yes, yeah, so Romans 2.25. says, For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. Okay? You say, well, these people back in Abraham's day, they did the circumcision. Therefore, they kept the covenant. No, because it, it profiteth if you keep the law, meaning the whole law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Well, that stinks. Because it's real easy to break the law. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it, if it fulfill the law, Judge thee who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter. That's that list. Okay, that, Not in the letter, not in the law. Whose praise is not of men, but of God. So this covenant that God gave to Abraham here, this was a physical covenant, and it was not about salvation. Y'all understand this? This covenant that God gave to Abraham there was not about salvation. This was for them as a physical people. This was for them as a nation. Therefore, we don't need to do this today because we're not a physical people. We're a spiritual people. We have the circumcision of the heart, and that circumcision that Abraham and all his house did did not save them. And proof of that, okay, proof that this did not save them is found in Genesis. And Paul 
referred to it in Genesis, or Romans 4 9 when he says, well, in verse 8, he says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also. People who don't have the physical covenant. People who have not done the physical act. Or uh, says, for we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When did Abraham, was he called righteous? We already saw it. It was before the circumcision, wasn't it? He doesn't get circumcised here until he's 99 years old. We already showed how he got saved when he was 75. I believe it was. or uh, it, was, it was an earlier chapter that he was saved. Maybe not 75, but it says not. So he, how was it reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. So Abraham... He was saved before he got circumcised. And the Bible says, now why did God do that? So he could be the father of those who are circumcised, the Jews, and those who are uncircumcised, like the Gentiles. So so right there in Genesis, we see Abraham getting circumcised after it says the Lord accounted unto him for righteousness. What does that tell us? It tells us you don't get saved by being circumcised. It tells us you get saved by believing Genesis teaches us that. Paul's Romans Road, much of it was based off doctrine in Genesis specifically about Abraham. So again, to say that Abraham got saved by faith plus works is foolish. It is wrong. It is heresy. It's just a dumb thing to say. It's completely dumb. No basis in scriptures. So the physical token was something that God did to separate these people because they were a special people. But it wasn't because of anything that they had done, but it was because of who was going to come from them. That's what made them special. When God looked down at that nation, it was, trust me, there was nothing in them that made God look and say, wow, aren't these great people? God wanted to kill them all the time. And God often did kill many of them. But he always left a remnant. Why? Because of his promise to Abraham. Well, what was the promise to Abraham? That he would always leave him a remnant? No, but the promise to Abraham was that a seed was going to come. That God was going to multiply as the stars of heaven. That seed was Jesus Christ. Y'all see that how just clear that is? It's real clear. So verse 12, just 17. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money or any stranger, which is not of thy seed. So in other words, you could become of Israel. You could become a Jew, even if you weren't physically from them. From day one, from the time of Abraham, from before the time Isaac was born, you could be a part of those people, and it didn't have to do with bloodline. It's, it's right there, black and white, clear as crystal. This right here proves you didn't have to be physically of Israel to be of Israel, or to, a physical descendant to be of Israel, or even to be Abraham's seed. So it says, he that is born in thy house, he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. You break God's covenant, you're cut off from the people. So you know, 
the Jews are today, they are cut off from among God's people. They are not of God's people. Right? They've broken his covenant. How do they break his covenant? Through sin. Well, what are they supposed to do about it? Get saved. Trust in Jesus Christ, and then they'll be grafted back in. So verse or so you know, there's no doubt this covenant is of works, this physical covenant that he gave. This is a covenant of works. And they will use this to prove they got saved by works. But the problem is nobody kept it. Nobody kept that covenant except Jesus. Jesus is the only one that kept it. So it says, And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be, and I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before me. Lord, let me help you again. I'm not learning my lesson. Let me help you have, have this prophecy come true. Let's just let it be Ishmael. It, with, you know, he's not, he's not, it's taking him a while to figure this out. And it says, uh, and as and God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, and Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time. In the next year. And I believe when it says the 12 princes, I'm assuming that probably means the 12 tribes that eventually came not in, uh, you know, from Jacob's children. But God's telling this it's covenant I'm going to establish. I'm going to do it with Sarah. Not with Hagar, with Sarah. We have a son. His name's going to be Isaac, and he's coming next year. And so while Abraham laughed and had a moment of doubt, ultimately he had faith. Okay? Yes, he had a bad moment. We're all going to have bad moments. At the end of the day, it's what we do in the end that really matters. It's, it's better the end of a thing than a beginning. So, you know, don't, don't give up when you mess up. When you mess up, just get it right and keep going. Just, you know, just man falls seven times. You just, you just got to keep getting up. And as long as you end right, these things will be forgotten. And we don't see this mentioned when we're reading about Abraham in the New Testament because... Ultimately, he did the right thing. So that's what—that's the more important thing. Remember the two sons? The one said, I'll go, and he didn't go. Another one said, I'm not going to go, but then he repented and he went. You know, which was a better one? It was the one who maybe he didn't say the right thing at first. He was wrong for saying that, but, you know, he at least went and did the right thing. The other guy said all the right stuff, but he didn't do the right thing. He was worse. So just, just remember that. We're all going to have thoughts. We're going to... You mess up. Our heart's not going to be in things sometimes. Sometimes you just got to make yourself do the right thing. Just do it whether you feel like it or not. It's better when you feel like it. But we can't always control our feelings, but we can control our actions. So it says in verse 22, And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all that were born in his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day as God had said unto him. And folks, this is very significant. This, this was God's covenant. 
And one of the things we, we're going to see later that God says about Abraham, the reason God wasn't going to hide what he was going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah to Abraham is because I know him. I know that he will command his house after him. God knew that he was going to do the right thing when it came to his house. And we see Abraham here. You know, while we can't always control the hearts and minds of our family and the hearts and minds of our children, one of these days they're going to grow up and they're going to be able to make their own choices. And, you know, we hope they do the right thing. It's our prayer they do the right thing. But at the end of the day, you know, we can at least make sure we are doing what we're supposed to do, that we are commanding our families like we're supposed to do while they are in our house, while they are under our authority. And Abraham did that. And this meant a lot to God because this was a very serious thing. We see later in uh, Exodus chapter 4, after the whole burning bush experience with Moses, as soon as God tells Moses, it's kind of interesting, it's, it, it's, it's one of these stories in the Bible that's a little perplexing when you read it because it seems like there's not a lot of detail but god tells moses go to egypt you deliver the people and you're reading it it looks like moses is on his way and then the lord's getting ready to kill moses and you know when you read that you're just kind of like what's going on and then that's the story when his wife went and took a sharp stone and circumcised her son and said a bloody husband art thou she was mad because of the circumcision and what most people believe is that god was angry at moses because he had not circumcised his family he had not circumcised his son and that was a, a big deal god's wanting moses to use him to deliver his people and moses isn't even having his family keep god's covenant and i believe that's why god was about to kill moses and so moses's wife she ends up circumcising her son so god would spare moses this is kind of a kind of an interesting story but i say all that to say the circumcision was a big deal so it was, a really, it was a really big deal. And the thing is, too, for the most part, from what we read about the Jews in the Old Testament, they were pretty good about this one item on the list. Kind of like Baptists. We've all got our one favorite item of ours that's on the list that we all got down. You know, I mean, we are, we're messed up. You know, we, we fall off the wagon and drink and smoke pot and cuss and, you know, do all these terrible things. But, we, but we're soul winners. So that cancels it all out, right? You know, we, you know, I, yeah, I know, I, I do a lot of things bad. You know, I beat my wife. I, you know, I, you know, I gamble. I do that, but, you know, I don't pay my bills, but I go soul winning. Y'all do that other stuff too, okay? But everybody's got their one thing, and for the Jews, they constantly were talking about the circumcision. Here's a real easy thing I can prove, you know, and so they, they made a big deal about that. That's a terrible attitude. That's not right. You know, that's not, that's not how things are supposed to be. It's like the way a lot of people, you know, they approve of, you know, what pastor's good and what one's not good. It's a post-trib. You know, hey, anybody can say they're, anybody can say these things. Anybody can repeat facts. And, and, you know, I don't really care so much what somebody's official position is on something. You know, you can tell. Okay, I've been around long enough. You can tell when somebody believes something by conviction, by personal study, they, that they've been fully persuaded in their own mind, you can tell that person from the one who's just on the bandwagon. And I'm not impressed with people. Around, listen, if you're on our bandwagon, you're on a good wagon, okay? But if you don't get some conviction, if you don't you know, determine some things in your own heart and mind, one of these days you're going to see a wagon that looks like it's having more fun, and you're going to go jump on that wagon. Or things are going to get difficult and bumpy on our wagon, 
and you're going to get bent out of shape and you're going to jump ship. That's what's going to happen. So, you know, just because you go and you, you've got this check mark, yeah, I'm post-trip. You know, all of a sudden you think you're this in this elite club or group. You're just, you're stupid, all right? Get over yourself. You know, we need to try to be the whole package. We don't need to go finding these one things that are like our main thing we identify ourselves with. You know, and, and, and most places have more than one. But uh, that, that's just a lot of foolishness. We shouldn't be that way. So uh, we see here, you know, so Abraham did all these things. And Abraham says uh, he was 99 years old when he circumcised the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old. When he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, in the selfsame day it was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael his son, and all the men of his house, born in his house, and bought with his own money of a stranger, were circumcised with me. He did it that day. Right away. He didn't wait. He did it that day. This is an example of the obedience of Abraham. This was a great thing that he had did. This was a work of obedience. This was him commanding his house in the ways of the Lord, but this did not save him or any of the people in his house. This did not, this, now, this helped preserve them as God's people because God wanted to use this nation. They were supposed to follow God's law, but this did not give them soul salvation or guarantee them heaven. And, you know, we ought to want to be like Abraham. Like God said in the beginning of the chapter, he said, when he told him, uh, basically, to follow me and be thou perfect, uh, if I, I might not have quoted that exactly right, yeah, he said, uh, walk before me and be thou perfect. Abraham was already saved. And you know what God wants from us now? God wants us to walk before him and be perfect. He wants us to be complete. Let's grow as Christians. And so if we're going to do that, you know what we need to do? We need to do like Abraham, and we need to lead our house in the ways of the Lord. We need to learn the ways of God, and we need to put these things to practice in our life. So that right there is the story of Abraham, or the, you know, the, the, circ, you know, the circumcision. These things uh, were very important. And a lot of great lessons that are taught from it in the New Testament about our salvation. We, don't, we want to understand these stories. We want to know them. So the seed and the circumcision, we learn what these things are and what they mean from Genesis 17. What's taught in the New Testament about the circumcision and about the seed, you should have been able to learn it from Genesis. And Paul proved it. Not from his own words, from Genesis. Right there, that, that, that defeats dispensationalism all by itself. So, With that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. What an amazing book that it is. And dear God, I just pray that you'll help us, Lord, to just dig deep. Help us to pay attention to these things, Lord. When uh, something from the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, I pray we'll take the time to go back and look at it and see what we're supposed to learn. And Lord, it is a, it is a great privilege to be able to just teach from a book that is just that is so incredible, uh, that it's, it's so clear. You always had a plan. And, Lord, even though you knew all the horrible things that man was going to do, for some reason you still loved us. You made a way of salvation, and we thank you for that. We're looking forward to enjoying that salvation for eternity with you in heaven someday. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.